listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon and I'm joined as always by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you doing today? I am very well and the better for being here recording with you for our listeners. It's the highlight of my day. Today it is the highlight of my day. <laughs> you don't want to know what I've been doing. I've been working from my home office all day, uh, elbow deep in admin invoices, spreadsheets, and more admin. So this truly is the highlight of today for me. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> um, it's nice to be recording again, though, because I do, I do really enjoy these conversations that we have. And I think it's almost by the by that we record them and share them because yes. it's really nice to talk through this stuff. So, so thank you for joining me again. And it's much, much easier when you've got someone with you than when you're trying to do this by yourself. Yeah, I can see. And I am learning a lot. And I, I think I also learned through not just hearing you, but also replying to you, bearing the listeners in mind also. So it's it's a whole little ecosystem of, uh, of a conversation. Well, I had some nice feedback, actually. I, I met another person who listens to the podcast and they um, gave a special feedback on the episode I recorded with uh, Rachel Skews, where we were talking about acceptance and commitment coaching. That's number 54. And uh, this person knows us both. And so obviously it was a bit of a, a strange thing to hear us both on, on one podcast. But uh, the word that stood out for me was conversational. So that's right. what I'm really aiming for. We're having a chat. It just happens to be about psychology at work. Yeah, nice. So today we are on part seven of our series on psychological flexibility and action. Um, today we're going to look at one of the other principles within psychological flexibility or acceptance and commitment theory, ACT. This is um, the principle of how we view ourselves, how we see ourselves, and how it's best to do that flexibly. And I'm conscious this is a very kind of conceptual, theoretical thing. So we'll try and ground it in some some good examples. But first, I thought we could do a quick recap of what we've covered so far on the series and illustrate why they're useful principles. So the first of these we looked at actually in the series was around values and the, the value of us being clear on our values. Um, why is that important? Well, in a sense, they tell us who we want to be, the kind of person we, we would like to be, that we aspire to. Uh, they also clarify for us what matters. And of course, if we know what matters and if we know the standards we aspire to in life, then it brings a level of clarity. It flags up what doesn't matter and it can, it can take some pressure off. And, and the idea here is that our values replace passing thoughts and passing emotions as the things that help us make a decision. So rather than using maybe momentary frustration, we tap into our desire to be a patient person, for example. 
And so the values act as our inner compass. So that was one of the first things that we touched on in this series. And of course, not just knowing what our values are, but putting them into practice. Values in action. Really, really important. We also talked about this skill that we call diffusion, which is sort of stepping back from our inner experiences. And th those include our thoughts, self-talk, imagery, emotions, all the stuff that's inside of us. And if we practice diffusion, we see our thoughts for what they are, not what they say they are. So we're able to see them as concepts, as a stream of consciousness, but we're not being dictated to by them. We're kind of observing them, keeping them at a, a helpful distance. Um, we also talked about this skill of present moment awareness or focus or being mindful, all, all the same kind of thing, which is it's about showing up and being where you need to be. So examples of that would be being able to bring your focus to bear on the task at hand rather than getting distracted, uh, being able to bring your attention to bear on an individual that you're communicating with, um, to heighten your listening and uh, your noticing of what's happening. And it's really helpful because, well, for one thing, we as humans know when people aren't paying attention to us. But I think the opposite of present moment awareness is when we're multitasking, we're, we're spreading our attention really thinly across lots of complex things. That's both tiring and it will lead to errors. And it's not a very enjoyable way uh, to, to work. Now, a question I had in between uh, uh, some of the episodes just about this was around being focused all the time. And, and I really just want to make it clear. I don't have an expectation that everyone is going to bring total awareness to all of their tasks all of the time. I think this is a bit more selective. So we can daydream and it's great to daydream. Um, and if we want to, that's the time to do it. But it's when you're drifting away from something that's meaningful to you and getting caught up in your own mind, that's when it's less helpful. So it's bringing that focus with intention. And then we've also talked about the skill of acceptance of discomfort, the psychological discomfort that goes with stepping outside of our comfort zone, uh, pursuing meaningful goals, uh, keeping going during tough times or turning to face things that we've been trying to avoid. And these all speak to persistence and goal attainment. And of course, it links back to our values. Who do we want to be? I want to move in that direction. And so I'll persist, even though it's difficult or uncertain, or I haven't got a lot of faith in myself, or I've been told no several times before, but I believe in this, so so I'll keep going. So even though we've just had a few episodes on this, there's quite a few skills involved. And what I've been trying to do in our discussions and in, in my interviews with other people is illustrate that these really do have practical value in the workplace day to day. And of course, that's what the evidence has shown us over the last few decades, that practicing these skills to give us psychological flexibility, it's associated with uh, increased well-being and productivity, all that good stuff that we're looking for. So Pilar, let me pause there and ask you, does that prompt any questions, any thoughts, any reflections from you? Well, what's really, interest, uh, or really interesting for me is that I've been talking with you uh, uh, and we've been talking to you about all this stuff for quite a while. And every now and then when I listen to the episode with a guest, I suddenly hear things differently. And I think that's also quite interesting how I process di things differently when I'm talking with you. And then when I hear something uh, external in a way, put in a different way, I go, oh, 
Oh, okay, yes. And um, I don't know, listeners, maybe you agree with me or maybe not. Uh, so it, it's interesting just to... It, the, the interesting thing for me is to go back and reflect on all this and listen to the different concepts at different times. And I suppose it also depends on where I'm at at that moment. Um, but to, to be more specific, uh, I was listening to episode 57, which was your interview with uh, Dr. Austin Tay on ACT in Asia. And at some point, and I can't remember, I think it was you that said it, which is why I thought, hang on, I must have heard Richard say this before. And you talked about thoughts and the thoughts we have, of course. And uh, you talked about thoughts that take you away from something versus those that take you towards. So I think you say away thoughts versus towards thoughts. And this all had to do with the fact that some of our thoughts are trying to get us away from feeling something, probably discomfort, rather than thoughts that are taking us towards our goals or whatever we want. So I just really like that and it just resonated. I'm sure, I know we've covered it, I know we've talked about it, but this away thoughts versus towards thoughts, I just find that very interesting. And um, so, great. A couple of things in there. One is, it's a different context for you, isn't it? Just mm, to be listening, yes. not to be to to be discussing. And so that that really sits well with the ACT principles we've been talking about. The context is is everything, really. And to be aware of that context, and you've noticed a difference. So you're putting this stuff into practice. It's a great example. I think the the second thing to clarify is the away and towards gives us a, an indication as to the away behaviors, the away moves. They're, they're things we do to avoid or minimize discomfort. And the towards ones are the ones in line with our goals. Who do we want to be? Our values. They're helpful. And you're right. It's a, it's a really helpful distinction to reflect on. It's what I'm doing or what I'm tempted to do just to relieve this discomfort or Am I going to do something worthwhile and helpful to me and maybe bring some of that discomfort along for the ride? Mm -hmm. And of course, we all do away moves all the time. You know, many of them are mm, survival. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you are in pain and yeah. you move away from that, that's an away move. And, and you know what? It, it, it helps you in getting the way out of a bus. <laughs> and, and, you know, so the real, wait, hold on, avoid this. This is dangerous. That's survival. But unfortunately, we're not so great at distinguishing between that and psychological threats and threats to our happiness and threats to stability and all of those things that we're really looking for. And so that's where it's really useful because away moves can look helpful and they can feel helpful in the moment because we feel relieved or we're busy. You know, we're doing something. And you might argue that constant busyness is is a representation of an away move because maybe we're keeping busy because we don't want to be left alone with what's going on in our minds. We don't like the sound of it. So rather than be um, inactive or pause and have a listen, we just keep going because facing up to that could be quite uncomfortable. So it's a simple thing towards and away, but it's actually very useful in, in that we can look at lots of contexts and lots of behaviors and look at them through that lens. Yeah. So thanks for that. Um, it is really useful to see how this lands <laughs> with other people when they've been listening to it and what they take away. So yeah, towards moves, away moves, really, really, really good. So this time we're going to look at how we view ourselves and why it's important to give some thought to 
Well, one way we could put this is our self-concept and um, what that's made up of. And so our self-concept can be very, very simple and maybe overly simple and reduced to something that we're maybe clinging to. And it's an unhelpful thing because it's maybe out of date or it's maybe um, not going to last for very long, like a job title, or, or it's something like academic achievement from a very long time ago. And, and so we divide, define ourselves and maybe our worth by a small facet of our self-concept. And, and that, that way we're mixing up the content that makes us who we are and who we are as a person. And of course, all of us are a lot more uh, interesting and complex than a degree, a job title, um, parenthood, nationality. You know, we're made up of so many things. So part of giving some thought to our self-concept is, are we leaning on part of that more than any other part? And how much does that help us? Do we tend to bring some of that out in certain situations in a way that helps us or in a way that maybe holds us back? And are, are we able to notice ourselves doing that? So, as I said, this can be quite a, a conceptual thing, but let's start with the self-concept. And, and, you know, does it make sense that we're made up of all these millions and millions of facets of information that make you, Pilar, different from me, Richard? Mm. And, of course, if we just focused on nationality, there's sometimes when it's useful to point out those differences. And if we just focus on seniority, that can point to maybe who should take charge in this situation. But if all you do is hang off that element of you, it's not going to work in all of the different contexts in which we find ourselves. So that's one way that I explain that. Showing up in different contexts, but flexibly bringing the bits of you that are most useful to that context to the table rather than maybe a little like going home from work and still acting like the boss. Your spouse would not generally welcome that because now you're in a different context and you're no longer the boss in this context. You're the spouse, you're a partner, you're, you know, one of two equals. So getting a little bit technical, we can make, uh, so that wasn't technical at all, but it, there's, there's two phrases that are used a lot in ACT and they might be used by a coach or a therapist or a trainer. Um, and I think they, they bring a lot of illumination to this because we can either experience self as content or self as context. And self as content is when we think of ourselves as the stuff that's going on inside us, our thoughts and emotions. And that can be problematic because that's the equivalent of saying, because I've had a bad thought, I'm a bad person. Or I am my emotions. Or I am my beliefs about myself. And of course, that's going to limit what I could possibly be. And we touched on this in a previous episode. We might have some stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and we become a little fused with them. And the example we had was, I'm no good with numbers. So can you imagine how holding on strongly and inflexibly to the belief that I'm no good with numbers could have an impact on how you view yourself, um, how you view your skills, and maybe the extent to which you expose yourself to situations where numbers are relevant. And yeah. so self as content is just a little bit like I'm made up of the stuff inside of me and that's it. And, and that can be limiting. And of course, it's a function of our memories. Uh, it's a function of our language and, and all of that stuff. Selfless context 
it's just stepping a little back from the thoughts and the emotions and the stories and we sort of observe them. So one way uh, that we might sidestep all of this terminology is to talk about the noticing self or the observing self, the bit of you that notices what you're doing and what you're thinking. And it is a little like diffusion. It's a little like present moment awareness, but it's different to both. It helps both, but it is different because it's learning to notice that we can observe ourselves. And if we're able to do that, then we're able to take helpful action rather than maybe be at the mercy of our self-belief or some flash in the pan emotions. Let me pause there. Selfless content versus selfless context or just the fact that we can observe ourselves from the inside. Does that make sense? Loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say. No, no. I think it makes, <laughs> makes complete sense. And also you can start to see what being flexible or what viewing yourself flexibly is about. And this concept of psychological flexibility. Because when you're talking about self as content, we have all sorts of thoughts, all sorts of emotions. We do all kinds of actions, but we don't need to be defined by every single one of them. I think that's that's something that's mm. that's coming to mind. And then plus, if we then take into account the context, the different contexts, we can also see that we are, there's a lot of different us within us. Uh, and and sometimes uh, certain parts of ourselves come uh, are more uh, salient in a certain context. Sometimes they're more relevant, they're more appropriate. We are more comfortable. Sometimes we're more comfortable being ourselves in certain contexts. We are more comfortable accessing a certain part of ourselves in different contexts. And this is where you start to see what the word flexibly really starts to mean. Absolutely right. Yeah, I really like that because you can also see how these skills are supporting each other. You know, if you're able to pay attention to the here and now, you can notice what the context is asking of you and you can practice diffusion to see the thoughts as just thoughts and you can persist in maybe a novel situation and persist through the discomfort that this novelty might bring for you, but also At the same time, you're not saying, I'm not very good at this because I'm finding it difficult. You're able to be the observing self that says, I am finding this difficult, but that doesn't make me poor, bad, unreasonable. I'm persisting in this context. And so it's, it's almost like stepping back from your thoughts, but stepping back and maybe viewing yourself perform. Uh, be your best self, whatever it is. So all of these can can really support each other. I've just found that talking about self-concepts, talking about self as context, it can trip us up sometimes because I think there's this terminology here and there's definitely viewpoints here we're not used to sharing mm. in the workplace. So in workplace contexts, I, I, I often just limit this to talking about self-concept and Even today, I had a great conversation about leadership. What do leaders look like? How how are you a leader? How do you look like a leader? And, you know, this is a good example where someone might have self-limiting beliefs about their own leadership capability because they don't identify with the leaders they've seen before in their life. And, and they have beliefs about their uh, capability or lack thereof that will then shape their views of situations they can get into and impact their behavior where they're more likely to um, engage in away moves, 
from a situation that could be really beneficial to them. So to bring it back to practicalities, it's, it's really to have a flexible relationship with these stories that we build up about ourselves over time, because that's sense making. That's what we're doing. We're trying to make sense of life. It's just useful to hold them lightly and to know that none of them are permanent and none of them are the only story that we should be telling about ourselves, uh, telling ourselves about ourselves. Um, and of course, there's also the, the ones we tell others about ourselves versus what we're saying to ourselves about ourselves. And of course, of course, they can be quite different as well. So in order to cultivate this um, observing self, we can rely or, or um, emphasize the present moment awareness, the mindful focus to be able to bring ourselves into a situation where we can imagine that we're watching our own life on a screen. And if you could sit in a cinema and watch your life play out on screen, each scene would look very different. And your character would look very different over the years, but you have this observing self that is still you, that is constant. And that's what we're trying to cultivate, to be able to get in contact with this constant you. And that has benefits because it means you're not being dragged left and right by events. And I'm doing air quotes, events. <laughs> um, but you can see a, a constancy, if that's a word, and, and a, a sort of a permanency to you, a permanence to you as being an observer of your life and of your experiences. Um, very metaphysical, very philosophical. But if you can connect with someone on this topic and use some examples, they can realize that maybe some of the stories they've been telling themselves about themselves are way out of date or are inaccurate or simply just don't tell the whole story. And they've been holding themselves back with that. So I'm no good with numbers. I'll never be a manager. Uh, I don't play nice with others. Um, I'm, I'm a born leader, you know, so they can be in the other direction as well. They don't really have to pull you down, but they can big you up in a way that's not very helpful. And outside of the workplace, there could be things like, I'm unlovable. I'll never have a relationship. Or uh, imagine a student saying, I'm never going to pass these exams. I'm not academic. I'm not smart. So, you know, all of these things might be true in a moment. You're not academic right now because you're not paying attention to your studies. You're getting caught up with your worries. Or maybe one person that you've met says you're unlovable. Or maybe a manager in the past told you you'll never be a manager. That's content. That's not who you are. It's memories. It's images. It's the feelings you have about those memories and images. It doesn't represent what you can do as you enter these different contexts. And that's what's difficult for us to, to prize apart sometimes because we wear them like a hat, like a uniform. This is who I am. And, and part of this is shaking that up. So you can view all of that a bit more flexibly, decide to wear different hats for different contexts, change that uniform, maybe shed the skins from the past that aren't really helping you anymore. Conscious, I've been talking at you for another 25 <laughs> minutes, Pilar. <laughs> So Richard, um, so, so going back to the fact that these are all skills that, that mm. we can learn then, this seems to me 
one of those things that you need to almost bring all the other skills together to <laughs> to address this because it's quite complex and it requires, as I'm hearing, a lot of being aware in the moment, uh, uh, having uh, knowing your values, and so there's. How do we start to? I don't know, what are the first steps in going, okay, I, I think I am a bit like, you know, I'd like to see, look at myself more flexibly. I'd like to be able to separate myself um, and understand my context, etc. Where do I start? Well, in a coaching context, in a workplace coaching context, self as context um, or self as content might, might be really the elephant in the room. But there's no way I would sit someone down on day one and say, so let's talk about yourself as content. <laughs> but what, what we, I might work to do is to illustrate to them that some of the beliefs they hold firmly about themselves aren't helping them. And by clinging on to those beliefs, they're, they're fusing with them rather than being able to see them as possibilities. And so I might never mention self as context or self as content. We might talk about your history to date and how you can leave some of that stuff behind or why your context is requiring something new of you. And so you can learn to be successful. You can learn to navigate the challenges in this new context because it's new and you don't have to be everything you've been before. So there's one um, uh, very simple exercise that I'll do with people is to to get them to start talking about their themselves, beginning with I am. And so they have to list phrases, I am, I am, I am, until I start to ask them, can I take that one away from you? You know, what? how would it feel if I took that I am phrase away, like I am a chartered accountant? And someone, well, if you could take that away from me, that would be disappointing. But, you know, it's not all I have in life. Great. Mm -hmm. you say to someone else, if I took away, I am successful from you, they would say, oh, I would feel very uncomfortable if I couldn't say that about myself. And there you have an insight into maybe you're clinging on to that a little bit much. And maybe I am successful is how you're viewing what you should do in each context. And it's not giving you the flexibility of responses that could be even more helpful to you in more contexts. So one way is to try and identify what is it you're gripping onto very, very tightly, because that might be the thing you need to let go of a little bit more in order for you to be a little bit more flexible. That, so yeah, in the workplace... Does that, does that yeah, sound yeah, relevant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And so examples I've shared in groups have been, you know, um, newly minted graduates emphasizing their graduate status when everyone around them is a graduate of, of some description. And so that I am a graduate translates into I'm a graduate, so I'm going to use that status to ask things of other people in a kind of a bossy sense. When in fact, you know what, you're a graduate, but that's not relevant right now. What's relevant is you working cooperatively with your colleagues and maybe acknowledging a new story about yourself, which is I'm one of the most junior people here. So maybe it's less about telling and more about listening. Or now you're leading a group of people, then maybe part of your self-concept that is all about being liked is no longer the thing that's going to really help you navigate these challenges because being liked isn't as important as being a good role model, addressing conflict in the team, setting a direction. And so in the context of being a, a, a new manager or being a new leader, being a likable person isn't as important. 
And so we just need to review our context and ask ourselves, well, how do I need to show up here? Rather than an automatic, this is how I am in every context. That can be confusing for people because sometimes consistency is viewed as such a positive that people can mix up, I'm consistent with, I'm applying the same rules of thumb to all the situations that I come across. And actually only some of those will be workable. Only some of them will get them the results that they're hoping for. And of course, this could be a bit of an eye-opener. I'm sure you could imagine if someone, you know, spends an hour or 90 minutes with me and they realize, wow, I've been tripping myself up with this stuff. There's no no one else I can keep blaming for this. That can be a little bit unsettling. And so a nice way of, of dealing with that is getting back to basics around the values and revisiting and re-clarifying what is, what is the kind of person that you want to be? Who is it that you want to be? And, you know, let's start to leave some of these other facets of your self-concept behind and you can take action to move towards uh, these goals that are really important to you. So even though it's complex, even though it's a little bit intangible, and even though it doesn't land you know, in just the same way as maybe explaining present moment awareness. Uh, it can be really useful for the practitioner, obviously, to have a good understanding of this, even if they don't talk about it explicitly. You know, we will be doing it with our, with our clients, with our coaches. Um, we will be touching on this because we're asking people to consider what they're noticing and how they're noticing it. And that's, that's tied up with this as well. But there are some real benefits to getting our heads around this as, as people. You know, w- one of them is, as I said, to be able to show up flexibly in a way that's helpful to you and others in each of the different contexts that you encounter. And just imagine the difference. It's like moving between rooms, never mind work and home, moving between different meetings, different groups of people. They're different contexts. So, being switched on to that will allow you to navigate them in a way that's workable, that's helpful for you. In some contexts, it's very hard to know who you are, what you are. Uh, maybe someone has identified an awful lot with their role and they lose that role. So instead of I am my job, it's I am me and I had that job, but that job wasn't me. There's always been me. Before I had the job and after I had the job, it's still me. And so you're helping someone tap into their self-worth and they're not hanging everything on that one hook of a job title. And that can be especially helpful for people at work when there's a lot of change going on around them, where their sense-making, their meaning, their identity was caught up with maybe membership of a team or a certain status or being viewed as a certain kind of an expert. And when that stuff looks a bit shaky, it can really challenge our, our, our self-concept. And we talked about um, things that hook you previously, thoughts that can hook you and take you away uh, from what it is that you want to be doing in the moment. An exploration of self as content versus self as context allows you to identify some labels that are being used unhelpfully. And as I said a little bit earlier, those very basic phrases we might say about ourselves, we can then have a really good conversation about where they've come from, how helpful they are, and what you might want to do instead of emphasizing those labels on yourself or other people. And of course, it does help us build 
on those other skills, those other acceptance and commitment theory skills we've been talking about, if you're able to observe yourself, your inner experience, it supports those things. It supports diffusion. It supports acceptance. It supports being mindful. And then it allows us to put our values into action to, to really move towards our goals. So I, it is a bit ephemeral. It is a bit conceptual. It's part of the ACT model for a reason. Um, but it's not one that I or, or other practitioners would definitively sit someone down and walk them through like we're having this discussion now. At the same time, for, for me, it's also interesting to understand the, the concepts, to understand myself. Like, for me, it really helps making that separation between the inner experiences, all of that, and my context. And that image of being able to go from one to the other and this image, especially the context of moving through different contexts, um, it helps. For me, it helps it, also it, to it, understand. If it brings a little bit of illumination, concepts. you know, rather than life changing, <laughs> that's what we're aiming for here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, part oh, of the yeah. way language works, you know, I'm upset, I'm sad, I'm excited. Well, mm. you're experiencing those things. You're not those things. You know, and, and that's the fundamental, uh, fundamental difference I'm talking about here. They are transient experiences as our jobs, relationships and everything else. But we're the constant. Each of us is the constant observer and all of that. And if you can tap into that, it can really help you persist and be resilient in the face of challenges because you know that it's an experience. It's not the end of everything. And you are, no matter what happens to you, you're still you. You're not a function of what you're feeling or saying to yourself. You're not only that thought. You're not only that emotion or that belief. And that can be really quite liberating um, when you're developing these skills. I think that's all I want to say about self as content and self as context today, because in a moment I'll start to mix them up again. And uh, it's an unfortunate turn of phrase, but maybe, maybe let's just roll it down <laughs> to self-concept. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, what in the name of all that is holy can I do with this concept? Maybe have a reflection on your self-concept, what it is you say to yourself about yourself, and not really look at it in terms of, is it true or is it not true? But to what extent do I let that dictate uh, what I do and what I don't do? To what extent are some of those beliefs supported in some environments, in some contexts, and not at all supported in some other contexts. And just reflect on what you might want to do differently as a result of that. We've said before, this isn't about changing thoughts um, or removing thoughts, but actually giving yourself a little, little bit of distance between you and those thoughts so you can take action that's helpful for you in those contexts. So if you found the preceding episodes useful, uh, this would be sort of the icing on the cake. Let's put it that way. But again, I've said it before, right? If, if just one person out there is practicing a more mindful approach to the workplace, that's a win for me, you know, noticing where their attention is going. That, that's fantastic. But if you're building these, these skills and you're reflecting on it and you've had a look at the website and, you know, you're going online to, to learn things from, from different sources about this, you know, this is, yeah, this is the icing on the cake and, and that's great. But, I would also invite you to get in touch with your questions and probably, I mean, 
you'll be gifted with language if you can ask a question about selfless context via Twitter. But if you would like to, if you can, with brevity, uh, you can find us at <laughs> my pocket psych. Or if you, I would expect, want to write something longer about your self-concept, you can find um, the online form at worklifepsych.com slash contact. And you can send us a, a nice long message there. And do indicate if you'd like us to mention who you are or to, to keep that bit confidential. So, Pilar, we, we've kind of come to the end of our focus on these different skills and what makes psychological flexibility individual and psychological. Next time, we're going to look at this from an organizational perspective. And I've got uh, an interview with Dr. Annie Gascoigne, who's going to talk about her doctoral research into organizational flexibility. So hopefully, if you're listening to this and maybe you're a senior stakeholder in an organization, that could be an interesting conversation for you. If you think psychological flexibility is an interesting and useful concept, have a listen to the next episode and you might get some inspiration um, as to how you might introduce similar concepts at the organizational level. So I think, Pilar, for now, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, finish up here. Thanks for listening. Wonderful. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.